join me as we gather for prayer. Lord, we are grateful to be in your presence and for this time that we have with one another as a congregation. You've blessed us with a building to meet in. You've given us voices to praise you in song, and you've given us our senses to experience uh, the Lord's Supper and to be with one another. And so as we continue our time in worship, may we hear from your word, may your text be alive to us, and may we have the Holy Spirit apply it to us in ways that we understand. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Something that I praise God for here at Calvary is the health that I see here in this church. It's a church that preaches God's word, and I rejoice in that. I'm convinced that a church that focuses on God's word as its guiding light proves to be a church that remains faithful. It places God first, it keeps his commandments central, and it puts the focus of the message of salvation through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. It's also the biggest factor for why most people choose a church, and that's likely why you're here. According to LifeWay Research, to the Pew Research uh, Center, and to Gallup, about 75 to 80% of church attenders choose their church because of biblically-focused sermons. And I'm sure that's a stat that you like to hear, and I know that's a stat that I love hearing. The people of God are hungry to hear about God from the Word of God. And therefore, faithful pastors and elders who keep the Bible and the gospel central are the best asset that a church can have. However, we live in an age where faithful preaching is hard to find. Our culture is hostile to Christianity, and it's not hiding that fact. It's become easier and easier to be discouraged, and sometimes it makes us want to fit in and hide. It leads us to act faithlessly. We see the Apostle Peter do this when Christ is being crucified, and I know that I'm not immune to acting faithlessly either. There are days when I want to rely on my own strength, and trust in God um, is not the first thing on my mind, and that rarely works for me. Maybe, likely, that happens to you as well. This also applies to pastors and elders. How many of you have heard or listened to sermons by famous Christians who later disqualified themselves? We can think of men like Ravi Zacharias, or like Mark Driscoll, or Joshua Harris. Those names are very famous and come to mind. And I know that I've been disheartened over some other preachers and pastors who have fallen, ones that I thought were men of godly character, but then they failed their families, or they failed their church, or they failed in their relationship with God. You may have other people who you're thinking about as well, others who may not even be uh, Christian leaders or pastors, but they're men or women who were celebrated for their greatness or we thought were faithful, and then they proved to be faithless and have fallen from that state. Today, we're going to see leaders like those, but unlike our examples, these people in, in this text have not yet been removed from their ministry, and we'll find them in the book of Malachi. And we'll pick up in chapter 2. So join me there in Malachi chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page uh, 801. In Malachi, last time we were there, in chapter 1, we saw the people of Israel cry out that God doesn't love them. But as we learned, it was really the people who didn't love God. They dishonored him. They didn't fear him as he was commanding for them. And they still claimed all the while that they were serving God, that they would sacrifice the animals on, their altar, on his altar. But these sacrifices were 
blemished and displeasing to God. And they wouldn't stop. Even when God asked them not to do it, he even says, shut the door, don't sacrifice anymore, but they don't listen. It's sadly not a surprise that they're not going to listen. You'll see why as we read today's text. Not only are they hardened in their hearts, but they're completely in the dark, and they don't know what they should be doing. So pay careful attention to the spiritual leaders as we read from Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. It says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. Indeed, I already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offspring, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with them was one of life and peace. So shall, oh, sorry, I apologize in verse four again. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the peoples, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instructions. See what happens? The priests have failed. The spiritual leaders of the church have fallen because of their unfaithfulness. And now, the whole nation of Israel has become unfaithful. That's a warning that we should catch. Malachi 2 is showing us the results of unfaithful spiritual leaders. It's a call for us to encourage our spiritual leaders to remain faithful. Our pastors and our elders do a lot to influence the direction of our church. So Calvary Baptist Church, please hear this point. Encourage our spiritual leaders, to remain faithful. Look at how God responds to those who are no longer faithful. In verse 1, he directs the speech to the priests. And then in verse 2, it says, If you would not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. God has had enough. He's told the priests to honor him, and they still won't listen. He's been slow to anger. He's been merciful to them, in fact, but they still won't listen, and now he's sending a curse on them. Their unfaithfulness not only dishonored God, but it harmed themselves. They failed. They failed God, they failed themselves, and they failed their people. And now, they and their children will be rebuked. They'll have dung spread on their faces and they'll be taken away to a place where animal waste is burned outside of the camp, away from the people of God. That's what verse 3 is saying. 
It says, behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away from it. We saw in the last chapter that the people don't honor God, nor do they fear him, and now we see why. It's because the priests don't fear him. And this low view of God spread into the home life of Israel. The curse in verses 2 and 3 is about the loss of blessing. The priests who were from the tribe of Levi had a blessing because of God's covenant with Levi, their forefathers, forefather. Verses 4 and 5 say, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my commandment with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts, my covenant with, them, with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Levi was in a much better position than the priests that we see here. He honored God, and he feared God as a servant and a child should, just like we saw in chapter 1, where is my honor, where is my fear? He was granted life, a life that was filled with peace, a life filled with reverence towards God. And it's exactly the opposite of the priests here. And God does not honor false teachers. And that's what these priests have become. They have become false teachers. They become kind of like the Pharisees of Jesus' time. They're seen as leaders who know what they're talking about, or at least they seem to know what they're talking about. Leaders whom the people place their trust in but leaders who lead with their words and not with their actions. And their words are untrue. They lead people astray and they give them a false view of God, a view where people don't know God's law and they don't understand God's grace. Look at the contrast in verses 6 and 7 with me. We'll see the difference between Levi and the false priests. 6 and 7 say, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This description of Levi fits the one who is eager to know God, to proclaim the truth about him, that's the kind of leader we want, spiritual leaders who seek to proclaim the truth about God. And that's the standard that I hope that we have noticed that we've set at Calvary. Pe people who are hungry to hear from the word of God, pastors who proclaim truth, elders who walk in holiness, leaders who turn aside from evil and promote good. And that's no small task. It's by God's grace that we have leaders who do this. The priests here in Malachi 2 well, they've been cursed because they do the opposite. God, through Malachi, says that they proclaim lies and they live in profanity and they promote evil. Verses 8 and 9 say, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my way, but show partiality in your instruction. The curse that God has sent against these priests is because that God loves his people. His people who have rebelled against them, but his people. And he hasn't given up on Israel. 
nor does he give up on his church. And that's the promised story of the gospel, right? The story that God's fallen people were rescued by God himself, that Jesus, the unblemished sacrifice who died for us so that we could be free, a God who gave himself up because he doesn't give us up. What a contrast between the priests here in Malachi who claim to represent God and God himself. As I mentioned, it's by God's grace that we've been given faithful leaders here at this church, humble pastors and elders who seek to serve God first. The spiritual leaders here at Calvary have dedicated themselves to serve you faithfully, so do not take them for granted, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Leaders are a gift from God. Godly leaders are a gift from God. They set a tone for the church. So please encourage them. Please pray for them. Thank them. Give glory to God for them. Rejoice when they're faithful and help them when they're struggling in their faith. This warning that I'm giving to you is one that I'm giving preemptively. Um, I've seen you guys do a great job of that. And while preparing for this message, I was specifically requested, um, not by one of the pastors, but I was specifically requested to say that you have been a congregation that blesses our leaders deeply, and they have felt the love for this church. They felt the love that you have for them, and they've been so encouraged by you. Your care and your encouragement have helped them to remain faithful and I know that I have experienced this as well. I have been to a handful of churches, and I felt cared for, I've, yeah. I have felt cared for in ways that I didn't even know that I could be cared for. So thank you. You're a church that loves much, and you're loved much. So keep at it, brothers and sisters. Keep encouraging them to live faithful lives, and I am convinced that God will continue to bless the congregation here at Calvary Baptist Church. But we can't just stop at the leadership. As James 3 says, you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And yes, there may, they may be in a more vulnerable position, being pastors on the front lines every day. Um, but they're not the only ones who need encouragement. If we must encourage our spiritual leaders to remain faithful, then we must also encourage one another to be faithful, to remain faithful. It's not right to pin all of the problems on our leaders they do help to set the tone and foster an environment and a culture of faithfulness for us, but we are responsible for our own faithfulness. So brothers and sisters, encourage one another to remain faithful. The text here now expands outward. Malachi is talking to the people, not just the priests. And he says in verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithful, faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. This issue has spread beyond the priesthood. It's a nationwide epidemic. They've been diagnosed with the fatal disease of unfaithfulness, and if left untreated, the consequences would be grave. They'd be cut off from God, and they would be separated with no hosts or with no hope. Um, again, reading uh, chapter or verse eleven, Judah has been faithless, 
and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the men who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The nation has gone after other gods. They're willing to compromise on the one true God and follow their own passions. And what is that passion? It's foreign women who serve other gods, other false gods, and pull them away from the one true and living God. And these women, they're not the wives, or they're not supposed to be their wives. Look at verses 13 and 14. All this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your, command, or, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. If you've ever heard of Ashley Madison, then this is a very similar thing. If you don't know what Ashley Madison is, it is an illicit and immoral dating site for the unhappily married. Their tagline is, life is short, have an affair. Clear wickedness plastered front and center. The company in 2019 shared that it contributes to approximately one million affairs every month. And instead of the spouse that God has blessed these men and women with, they desert them and they lust after someone else. They know exactly what they're doing. They know it's wrong. They know they're breaking their wedding vows and they violate their partner by seeking someone else, another spouse, whom they were one flesh with, deals now with the destruction and the shame. Take note at the end of verse 14, it says, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. We'll get back to that in just a moment, but we're going to go to verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. The text condemns them even more than I just did. Not only have they acted shamelessly towards their spouse, but they've also acted against the Holy Spirit. They've acted against God himself in their act of adultery. They have done wickedness to God, specifically. They were given a portion of the Holy Spirit in their union, and then they rejected him, and they prostituted their bodies, and they're sold out to someone who God didn't give them. When adultery happens, you're not just committing that sin against your spouse, you're also committing that sin against God, and the one who covers their garment with violence are guilty of assaulting their wives and grieve the Holy Spirit through adultery and divorce. One theologian captures why adultery is doing violence to the wife in this text. He writes, She whom you thus wronged was the companion of those earlier and brighter days, 
when in the bloom of her youth, beauty, or her young beauty, she left her father's house and shared your early struggles and rejoiced in your later successes, who walked arm in arm with you along the pilgrimage of life, cheering you in the trials by her gentle ministry. And now, when the bloom of her youth has faded and the friends of her youth has gone, when father and mother whom she left for you are in the grave, then you cruelly cast her off as a worn-out, worthless thing and insulted her holiest affections by putting an idolater and heathen in her place. With what I'm about to say, don't think that I'm going to downplay of divorce or adultery. God is not ambiguous about either of these things. Exodus 20 says, do not commit adultery. And here in Malachi 2.16, it, it says that God hates divorce. But with that said, I don't believe that the focus of this chapter is on divorce. I'm convinced that it's more about unfaithfulness. And that's why this point is to encourage one another to remain faithful. We saw that the priests were unfaithful, and now we see the nation has become unfaithful in all of their life. They've both ignored the covenants that God has made with them. Um, I told you that we get back to covenant. If you were here with us last September, Pastor Matt led us through a sermon series on marriage and helped us to understand the shape of the gospel through marriage. We learned about the covenant of love in marriage and how it relates to our covenant with God. And brothers and sisters, we are in a covenant with God. If you're a Christian, and I hope that you are, then you should know that God has given us good news of great joy, which is for all people. We have been given Christ God the Son has come to fulfill the requirements of the covenant and give blessings of the covenant to us as an inheritance. You're given life and eternal communion with God instead of being punished and separated from him for breaking the covenant. If you are not a Christian, if you haven't trusted in the name of Jesus, then you're in danger. But you're not without hope. Call upon God to save you. Ask for his forgiveness to be brought to you and be brought into his family. Ask to be made into a new creation where you are united with Christ. And don't wait for another time to do that when it might just be more convenient. Ask now. Do it today. Ask the person that's sitting beside you if you need help. But don't miss out on a God who continues to be faithful even when we aren't. Covenant breaking is what Malachi 2 warns us about. These men have forsaken their wives and they've shown that they are faithless to God. They dishonor their wives because they've already dishonored God. They don't care about the covenant that God has promised, a covenant where everyone will know God from the least to the greatest as we see in Jeremiah 31. Marriage is a covenant that points to a greater covenant and we're united with God forever. A man and a woman join as one and they're united until death and it's a visible picture of our covenant with God where we, the church, are united as one with Christ for eternity. The illustration of divorce is powerful enough that I should remind you that we're talking about unfaithfulness. There are other ways that we can be unfaithful. God created us to be faithful, and that extends into all of the areas of our life. Have you been unfaithful in your family? Have you potentially been unfaithful in stewarding your money, consider ways that you have been unfaithful. Have you dedicated yourself to the service of God? Remember that you're not your own. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
Don't be like the men here in Malachi chapter 2. Encourage yourself and encourage one another's to remain faithful. When our leaders remain faithful and when we remain faithful, God is glorified through us. We become a community that others can't ignore. We're seen as being people who are upright and we're set apart from the world, but one day we're going to die And I promise that I'm not trying to turn this morbid suddenly, but one day we are going to be gone and younger Christians and our children will be the only ones that are left. And so I think it's only right to ask you, in addition to your encouragement towards leaders and to one another, that you encourage future generations to remain faithful. When I speak of the next generation, I'm talking about you kids um, or younger adults. Those of you who are older adults or seniors, Remember that you were once the next generation, and if you're not now young, you once were. The kids these days are just like the kids of your day, and they, there may be different trends, but every generation has the same story. A generation goes, and a generation comes, and there's nothing new under the sun. So whether you're young, or you're old, or you're somewhere in between, for those of you who are 30 for the 15th time, you can start now. Encourage future generations to remain faithful. So for the kids here, I'm talking to you right now. I know a bunch of you. I'm a Sunday school teacher, and I have been down there, and I've heard what you guys have said in your classes. So don't let the adults look down on you, kids, because you're young. Instead, set an example. Show your parents that you can love God just as much as they can. Ask them to read the Bible with you or to ask questions. And go ahead and ask questions even if your parents can't answer them. Lots and lots of questions. If they don't know the answer, then encourage them to help you find them. And so adults, hopefully your kids already are asking you these questions. You have an amazing opportunity to help the future generation. So encourage them in their curiosity. We have lots of resources if you need any help with that. When we celebrate as a church the new children in this congregation, we commit to telling them about God whether you're a parent or not. So step up and encourage our future generation to remain faithful. We can't afford to be unfaithful now, first, because it displeases God, but second, because that we can't uh, burn out the next generation because of that. We see that it displeases God. If we look again at verse 3, in Malachi chapter 2. It talks about that. It says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your face, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. When I mentioned earlier that the priests were cursed and taken away from the people of God, we see that their offspring specifically are hurt because of it. I will rebuke your offspring. So we can't afford to be unfaithful because it curses those who comes after us. One way to encourage the future generation to remain faithful is by remaining faithful yourself. Look at verse 15 again with me. It says, Does he, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Look at who God is seeking, godly offspring. Malachi tells us to guard ourselves in the spirit and to remain faithful. So again, encourage the next generation by being faithful yourself. Raise your kids to love the Lord 
Raise other kids in this church to love the Lord. Fill their mind with God's word. Sing praises to God. Steep and saturate them in the love of God so that they know who he is and that the promises that he has promised is for them just as much as it is for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Promise them that if they, like we have, called upon the name of the Lord for their salvation, then they too will be saved. That's how I heard about the gospel. That's how I was saved. And that's how we can encourage future generations to remain faithful, teaching them the good news of the gospel. Stand against the culture that's pushing more and more against Christianity and declare this truth so that they may know that freedom is found in Jesus' name and in Jesus' name alone. Verse 17 is our final verse in the chapter, and it wraps it up well. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The spiritual leaders here have not taught God's word, or to love him, or his love, or his justice. The people don't know what God wants. They've fallen so far that they believe that wickedness is good. And if you think that that couldn't be real... Let me remind you of something that Pastor Matt shared with us during a recent sermon in his series in Zephaniah. He told us about an evil creed that's promoted as good, a non-historic, blasphemous, heretical, man-centered creed that is about our culture's sexual desires. It was called the Sparkles Creed, and if you weren't here that week, I will just read the first two lines, and I apologize to anyone who had to hear it the first time. It says, I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural, I believe in Jesus Christ, their child who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as sibling childs of God. We emphatically reject this creed here at Calvary Baptist, but I share this because it illustrates that our culture is set against God. They've called wickedness good. They say that it's the right side of history. We're on the right side of history and those other other fundamentalists, they don't know what they're talking about. They claim that God delights in what they're doing, but it's all a lie. They've become unfaithful, and they tell others to be unfaithful with them. And that's what's coming for this future generation. They're encouraged to walk in darkness. So would you encourage our future generation to remain faithful? I really hope you do. So where is this God of justice? As the text asks, He's the same God that we know as the God of mercy. The God who has waited patiently while we continue to sin and to sin and to sin. The God who will not let the guilty go unpunished, but is also slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's the same God who sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If that's not a reason to rejoice in the faithfulness of God towards us, even though we deserved everything that Jesus endured, then we have nothing to rejoice in. This God was the same God who hung Jesus on the cross and poured out his wrath on him so that we could be freed. What a love that is. We have been set free. We have been bought with a price. And we have every reason to rejoice in the God who has been faithful to us. And I hope that that encourages you to be faithful. 
The promise of the free gift of salvation is the best news that I know. So let me practice what I preach here and encourage you. Read the word. Read it with others so that they would see what God says in this book. Read it in Hosea and see the faithfulness of God on display there. Or read Judges and see the unfaithful nation of Israel raise themselves up as their own kings who ignore God and how that goes for them. Read Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and see as they faithfully anticipate the return of Christ. Read something and see what God is saying in his word. Commit to building one another up. Invite people to visit you or spend time at the church and encourage your brothers and sisters, like possibly with the potluck that we have after church. That's actually one of the reasons that we know membership to be so helpful. It helps fellow brothers and sisters here in the church to know who you are and how they can encourage you. It helps to keep you accountable for one another, and it's a reminder that we're committed to this local gathering of fellow believers who trust in the Lord and that we believe just like you believe. So be in community and pray for one another. Pray for others to remain faithful. Pray for your children or for your grandchildren. Pray for our elders and for our pastors and for our deacons and other leaders who want to serve God's people and bring your requests before God who hears and cares for your every thought. And once again, encourage your fellow believers both before you and after you to remain faithful and you can remind them that we have a hope that cannot be taken away from any or by anyone or anything for any reason forever. And this is that hope that we have, a hope in a faithful God who can and will do all these things, a hope which is imperishable. So in hope, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we return now to the songs that we sing and as we continue to fellowship with one another, lifting our voices as one, we pray that we would seek after you and that we would attempt in all aspects, to remain faithful. By your Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us the power to remain faithful and that when we have struggles, that we would seek after you wholeheartedly. We thank you for the faithfulness of your son, Jesus Christ, who endured the cross so that we would not have to endure it. We're overwhelmed by the love that you have given to us, a people who are truly undeserving in the ways that we think and we act. And so we pray that as this week goes on, that we would not neglect you, that we would be faithful to you, that we would seek after you with everything we have in us, and that we would rejoice in this God of justice and mercy, you and you alone. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.